All right, we're in it. Welcome to MK Ultra Film, where WhatsApp voice messages and movie reviews collide. What do you think of that intro? Mm. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all we've got. Yeah, I guess for anyone who didn't listen to the first episode, um, yeah, the general premise of the show is Killian and I send each other WhatsApp voice messages, giving an instant review of a film right after we've just seen it. Um, and then we listen back to them here on the show and discuss how we feel about the movie now after we've had a bit of time to kind of think about it and, you know, let our thoughts really kind of sink in. Yeah. Uh, another important aspect is that Mark is in Berlin, the coolest city in Europe right now, and I'm in Dublin. So we uh, this is our digital way of communicating. Uh, mm. So, yeah, just be aware that we're in different countries, both very hot at the moment. Uh, yeah, boiling. Boiling, boiling. How is hot. Dublin's hot right now, is it? Yeah, man, it's very hot. And you know, in Dublin, when it gets just that few degrees over, it's very uncomfortable because we don't we're not provided for heat, so we have no air conditioning, no fans, nothing like that. So when it's hot, mm. it's just sticky and hot everywhere. But by a few degrees over, you mean like a few degrees over eighteen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think officially it's probably only about twenty-one degrees, but <laughs> it's frankly mm, unbearable. Tops off. <laughs> I was on the train home and people just had beads of sweat dripping down their heads and they just looked so uncomfortable. <laughs> Everyone yeah. with a convertible is just hitting the streets immediately. <laughs> Top down. Finally. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. I knew this investment would pay off. They laughed when I got a convertible in Ireland. <laughs> What's uh, the first film, man? Yeah, yeah. So the first film this time around is Apocalypse Now, which recently got a kind of a re-release because of the 40th anniversary, I think. Yeah, so I went to see that in the cinema uh, last week with a couple of friends. And here is what I thought of it. So I just came out of a screening of... Uh, Apocalypse Now, the kind of new HD recut of it. Um, had a nice little intro from Francis Ford Coppola at the start, talking about how this is his favourite cut of the film. Um, it's not like the longest one they ever did or the shortest or whatever, it's just what he considers to be the best one. Um, it was still really fucking long though. Like I really enjoyed it, definitely a lot of really iconic scenes, like amazing acting and just like so impressive that they made it but still at times i was like whoa it's so long like really took his time on some of those scenes but uh it's also just so mental i kept thinking like like there's no cgi in that film and like some of the scenes and the set pieces and stuff are just so fucking big and massive and like they when they napalm a fucking forest they're actually napalming a forest and shit and it's just like whoa so mental that uh actually to do all that stuff also there's like 2,000 people in that movie like there's so many actors and extras and people and it's just such like a so impressive and I guess the length of it as well is also kind of pretty impressive in a way like you're just really like on this journey with these lads through the through the forest but yeah at times I think there's a scene in it that we're all saying we didn't remember from before where he sits down and has dinner with this French family on this little plantation thing. And I didn't remember it at all from watching it before. And it, I was like, God, this scene really kind of sucks. And it, kind of, it happened like kind of at a crucial time, attention span wise, maybe in like the third, like when it, maybe we were like 75% of the way through. 
and it kind of took it like it took me out of it for a while i was like what the fuck like what's going on here how long has this film been on but then once he finally meets up with um what's his name marlon brando at the end it got me back in i was like oh yeah, yeah it's good it's good it's good but definitely felt like i'd been in the cinema for quite some time it was funny as well thinking like towards the end thinking back to scenes that i enjoyed from earlier in the film it felt like i'd seen them like days ago but uh yeah so cool the guy who plays hagen in the godfather i don't know that, that actor's name but he's so good in it as well um yeah really really cool film long and definitely like not one you just stick on during the week uh, but very very good there you go very very good very very good yeah definitely like yeah objectively like an amazing movie um was really really great to get to see it in the cinema um like i think that's that's obviously what it was made for um and as i said like there's no there's no cgi in it which nowadays is such a rare thing and and because everything's real and every like the explosions are real and the napalm and you know when you see a thousand people on screen there's actually a thousand people on screen and it just makes it so immersive and being in the theater to see that with the full HD and the, the surround sound and everything was a really, really cool experience. Um, Interesting what you were saying about the scale of it all and the fact that when they were napalming a forest, they actually napalmed a forest and, you know, that there was, what, 2000 people in that film. You know, this just all reminds me of grand scale epic cinema, which is almost a thing of the past now that CGI exists. And uh, mm. and I think to cinema's detriment, I think that these epic films, there's just something about, I don't know, having the having to build the reality or replicate the reality that just makes them so fantastic. Mm. I, I remember in particular, there's one scene and it, it was just like such a throwaway scene, but there's a bit where they're going along in the boat and it's nighttime and the boat goes under like a crashed airplane. And they kind of yeah. sail under it and the airplane's really big and they all kind of gaze up at it and look at it. And that scene goes on for like, I don't know, like 15 seconds. And like, did they actually like build a, a plane and put that there just for 15 seconds of film? Like, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely astounding. And I think that something must happen in the having to make things of such grand scale that, uh, and you have such control over it. That, I don't know, that makes the films better. I, I just... Obviously, it's very stereotypical to be against CGI, and I'm not against CGI at all. I think that the the computer-generated uh, stuff that we have is astounding, and it's really amazing what they can do these days. But that it's the go-to for every situation just feels a little lazy. And, mm. um, and like, just right from the beginning of cinema, right back to the silent era, uh, they used to just construct things. And it was just something so cool that was so specifically in film. Um, mm. you know, you'd have like early silent films, you have then all those British, uh, epics like, uh, the bridge over river Quay or Lawrence of Arabia. Um, even, you know, right up until Troy and Lord of the Rings, those, those early ones, they were also kind of, they still like they built Minas Tirith and Troy had something like 4,000 extras. Like that's Oof. so cool to see them all there. Yeah, um, yeah. And now they're all just computer generated and it's just kind of, I don't know, something is lost looks yeah you can really see it. i never would have thought of it until i saw that movie and i was like wow it really am like i felt like i you know i was i was there in in vietnam <laughs> another thing we t we spoke about as well is like the, the imdb page for apocalypse now is in it's like 
insane. Oh yeah. Just the amount of stuff, sorry, I'm, I should say the IMD, IMDb trivia section. Mm. The amount of stuff that happened on set, it sounds like it was a complete hell for the whole yeah. crew. It said like there were supposed to be, it was supposed to be like eight weeks and ended up being like 16 months of shooting. Mm. And um, Francis Ford Coppola threatened to commit suicide on set three times. <laughs> Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne got addicted to heroin and he was only like 14, I think. Yeah. Um, also a crazy one. Martin Sheen had a heart attack and some of the scenes in it aren't him. They're his brother because he had a heart attack and they just needed someone to fill Jesus in. So they got his brother. Christ. And even some of the the narration is his brother's voice because he had a heart attack. Wow. So crazy. And but, I heard that when Brando showed up, he was like extremely overweight. He hadn't read the script. He hadn't read the book that the film was based on. He was totally yeah. unprepared and he was getting paid a ridiculous amount of money. And they didn't they have to like alter how they shot the film because he was so fat? Yeah, 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 yeah. They had, he was supposed to be very like, very skinny and I guess looking like a man who'd lived in the forest for quite some time. But when he showed up, he was 40 kilos overweight. <laughs> so they decided to nearly do like a trick, you know, like in Lord of the Rings, the way they shoot it. So some people look tall and some people look yeah. small. They shot it to make him look like a kind of a huge hulk of a man, like really tall, mm. large, instead of being this kind of skinny guy. It's funny. <laughs> I, re- I read as well, which I quite liked, um, himself and Francis Ford Coppola had a very bad relationship stemming from him not having read the book. Um, and it's said that Francis Ford Coppola re- spent a lot of time on set just reading the book out loud to uh, <laughs> to Marlon Brando. So Very passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. But the funny well, thing it, is he does a great job in his role. Um, yeah. But that, that kind of carry on doesn't seem to happen in movies anymore. Like... The idea of someone showing up, like you, you never really hear stories of actors showing up too drunk to perform on like a multi-million dollar film or people, you know, movie sets being like rife with drugs and, and this, that and the other. Like, does that kind of stuff still happen or? or? I guess it doesn't. I mean, this is, we're talking about the 70s when cinema was much more rock and roll and you had these directors like uh, Martin Scorsese and uh, Francis Ford Coppola and even in Italy, you had like, you know, uh, like the Fellini and they were all very associated with kind of rock and rolly. They were almost like pop culture figures, whereas nowadays directors <laughs> certainly are not that they more resemble uh, sleek kind of businessmen. Like if you compare uh, Francis Ford Coppola to, I don't know, you know, um, Christian Cr- Christopher Nolan, they're just two different characters. They wouldn't mm. you'd never see them in the pub together uh, like <laughs> Like uh, Coppola has definitely just tried to, you know, had wild nights and crazy times. And, you know, Christopher Nolan could be a geography teacher. I mean, while it sounds really fun and cool, it was definitely not a very helpful environment for a film to be made in it at all. Mm. Uh, But do you think like the the toil and the, the, all the kind of anguish of the actors contributed to the movie? Like, do you think that you can see that in the performance or... Do you think the acting is is just very good or like, do you think having more safety and less kind of rock and roll lifestyle and film sets nowadays means we don't, the films aren't as kind of gritty and good or how do you think that affects it? Well, I think that um, in a weird way, it was almost life uh, replicating art or in a strange way, because what that film was trying to do was to recreate the the very crazy madness that was Vietnam, you know, this, this absolutely, mm. 
there's no reason there. It's crazy. And uh, it's a mad, wild environment. And I think that the fact that they had this crazy, wild environment in the making of the film definitely might have benefit on screen. I'd say every single actor who uh, read a line in that film was imbued with the craziness that was the production of Apocalypse Now. Mm, For sure. Um, Cool. Well, I guess that's enough Apocalypse Now chat. Yeah, Yeah. let's not talk about it anymore. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot to be said, but, you know, we only have so much time. We want to move on to the big hot film this week, or the hot film on everyone's mind at the moment, which is Midsommar. Midsommar. So, who saw Midsommar? I saw Midsommar. Unfortunately, you haven't seen it yet. Why? Mm -mm. I haven't seen it yet because Berlin just sometimes isn't up to date with the rest of the world. Midsommar isn't coming out in Berlin until September 26th. Um, and I wrote to A24, I wrote to the various production companies and asked them if I could get a preview of it. And they said, no. So I, uh, can't, can't see it until then. I thought I'd be able to see it somehow, but it seems like I won't be able to. So I'm not really, I don't really know anything about it. This voice message is going to be the first time I really hear anything about it because. Yeah. Well, uh, with Midsummer, and I think we could start some sort of global social movement here. Anyone who has been the victim of having to wait uh, months and months for a film to come out in Berlin. Start sending those tweets at A24, get Midsummer out before the 25th of September. This is a global movement. This is, you know, climate change has to go on the backseat for the next while because this is what we care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you, everyone watching at the same it, it comes out in Ukraine before it comes out here it comes <laughs> out in Taiwan before it comes out here not that Taiwan and Ukraine don't deserve to see films but it's, it's set in Sweden and I'm in Germany you think, I don't know anyway, let's have a listen to what you had to say about it man, just got out of midsummer there um, that film is I think it deserves all the hype it's getting, it's fucking incredible was one of those films where you don't know what to do. The second you've seen it, you don't know where to begin thinking about it because it, there's just so much going on all the time. I fucking sat in the cinema for five minutes after. Usually I leave the cinema immediately after seeing a film, but in that one, I was fucking... I was sitting there for five minutes just going, what do I do here with all this stuff you've laid before me? <laughs> It starts off like it might be a classic horror with these, you know, you have this horror situation and you have these ordinary people in the horror situation. And you expect there to be some sort of fight back. Like there always is in a horror, you have sort of the ordinary person trying to fight back against the bad or gaulish or whatever horror thing that's happening. But in this film, you, you keep expecting that to happen and they, it just doesn't happen. And then there's just this amazing imagery and these, these amazing like classic horror tropes even though it's kind of a weird beyond horror but there's no like real jumpy bits there's some terribly gruesome scenes uh the likes i haven't seen in a long time but there's some moments of people doing you know the dumb thing where they walk into the room that they're not supposed to walk into where they do the thing that you don't want them to do like there's moments like that but uh fuck man i don't even know how to start like there's all these things coming out of my head it's a real Ah, and even the camera movements and the there's there's so many scenes on drugs and they're done in just the most amazing way like i've never watched a film and really like i felt like i was tripping balls it was fucking incredible um like if you're going to use cgi that is that's how you use cgi so subtle 
making me full on feel like I was, I was like, <laughs> I triple dosed on acid, whatever that would do. But anyway, here, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making any sense because that film, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was a very good film. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I can't wait for you to watch it and talk about it. So you liked it? Yeah. <laughs> I did like that film. What's amazing is that even though I, I think I rambled on there for quite a while, I didn't mention the incredible acting that was in it. I mean, it was the acting was astonishingly good as well. Um, mm. But yeah, that film was very good and it really affected me. And I felt a lot of maybe what was intentional for me to feel and then other things that I brought into it myself. But what what it was full of was an incredible amount of symbolism. But that's not really what I think about. I think you can go... Um, you can go on for years and years picking apart, like I see all these things online saying like, what does Midsummer mean? And what does this part of Midsummer mean? And all this kind of, all this, this painting in the background of the scene and what it actually means. And it predicts this and it predicts that. What I really liked about it was just the structure, uh, the sort of multi-genre type that it was. It's not strictly a horror. It, it's a horror, but it's also got, you know, comedy in there. It's got this, anthropological stream because three of the people who are going to this community in sweden are anthropology students so this got this kind of anthropological stream with the pagan society and all this kind of stuff that's going on and then i've been hearing uh online and reading online and hearing as well the people are saying it's it's essentially about the ending of a relationship it's about the ending between uh, uh two main characters and uh, how their relationship is ending but it's it's not a traditional uh, breakup story it's much more violent and uh eerie and creepy and scary than mm. that but yeah man you gotta see this film it sounds like it i feel like that's nearly become one of a24's things like m- kind of reinventing or a kind of a rebirth of horror films because they did hereditary they did that they did um it only comes at night. Like they, yeah. they do a lot of other non-horror films, but it seems like that's kind of one of their main things. Any decent horror film really that's come out in the last few years, I think has been done by them. Did you Would see you, Hereditary? Uh, yeah. yeah. What did you think? I really liked it. I thought it was re- really tense. I was like really, yeah, really affected me. What did, what did you, have you I seen didn't, I, I wasn't too hot on Hereditary and I, I don't know what it was. I guess... I felt that I had been sold. This was the scariest movie since The Exorcist. And I was going in expecting to be terrified. And mm. and then what I watched was not really that scary a film. And I think also people are saying Midsummer isn't scary. It's not. I mean, it is scary. Let's be honest. Um, mm. But do they deserve the stamp of horror? I, I don't. Um, I don't think it, you can call this film a horror film. Um when you think about like the Amityville horror or something like that, which are just so, you know, really they go out of their way to make things scary. Midsummer has more going on in it and it would almost be, you know, unfair to the film to say it was strictly a horror. And I don't think anyone in the cast or the production call it a horror strictly either. Mm. Um, Yeah. It seems like I was just going to say with films like that, like obviously I haven't seen Midsummer, but with films like that, it, it seems like, they're horror films just because they're scary. I, th- I think the definition is horror films are like made to scare you. Whereas films like Midsummer, they scary stuff happens, but that's just because it's in the story. It's not like we're going to make this film that's going to scare people. They're like, we're going to make this story 
and maybe people will be scared of it maybe they won't you know yeah i think i guess it gets all very wishy-washy when you have film genres and like you know no, there's no perfect horror and there's no perfect comedy and there's no films are always like multi-genre there's always multiple things going on because they're about life but does this is this film about scaring people no it's not it's it's about a lot of other stuff and hmm. uh and thank god it's it's very funny at some points like really quite humorous and then uh yeah i don't know all this symbolism and the pagan stuff and and the fact that in horror i as i kind of mentioned in horror there's always a character who's sort of running away from danger um mm. there's a big boogeyman and then there's someone who's chasing someone down a corridor and that person is running down the corridor away from the boogeyman trying to get safe and that desire to get safe that sort of movement to try get away from danger is noticeably absent from this film the there's no kind of like rallying together to try beat the bad guy that doesn't really happen so in that sense Mm. i I just i can't really call it a horror film either yeah it's and would you you say like aside because from what i've like gathered from like the memes and like posts and like Reddit posts and like stuff on Instagram and all this kind of stuff. It has like a lot of quite shocking stuff in it, it, it but it seems like from what you're saying, there's still a pretty good, interesting messenger story aside from all the kind of shocking stuff. Yeah. I think that's down to the acting and horrors generally, I wouldn't say is considered to be very high in this film. The acting is, I think these are some of the best young actors around um mm-hmm. yeah florence Pugh, will poulter jack rayner and uh your man william harper uh they, i mean really incredible talents and uh, they do an amazing job and i think that the human relationships which is a massive part of this story uh is the reason that the uh that the story is is, is richer than just uh just boo you know mm. and would, would any of those actors be i actually don't recognize any of those names would they be in anything else that i would know yeah, Jack Rayner is the the the, young, the new Irish hotshot. He's um he's the guy who was in What Richard Did. Uh, William Poulter is that kid who was from uh, Son of Rambo. You know, remember Son of Rambo? And mm. then uh, and then Florence Pugh is is just a wonderful act uh, actress. She's in uh, Lady Macbeth, and I, that's the only one I've seen actually. But she's mm. astoundingly good in this film. Like some of the best acting I've seen in a long time. Really wowed. Wow, cool. Well, in two months, I'll, uh, I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> uh, can I just say, uh, we always open our doors to listener contributions. And this week, we got our first listener comp- contribution from Michael, uh, who went to see Midsummer and he sent in this voice review. So uh, we're going to play it now. So, yeah, first time uh, giving this a go. But um, yeah, so last night, I went to see Midsummer. Yeah, so it's Ari Aster's second feature, following up from Hereditary from last year. So a bit of a quick turnaround for him. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thought it was um really interesting movie, but um it just looked beautiful. Like the cinematography was great, set design was amazing. Just the whole the whole thing of it being shot completely during like daylight hours is just really something really unsettling about it, but just really beautiful as well. But although I did enjoy it, I just thought it it lacked a bit of story which Hereditary kind of had. I just thought it lacked a bit of something like it's it was very good, but there was just something lacking, be it story or 
I'm just not too sure sometimes it's just trying to get be a bit too crazy but just falling short kind of like Suspiria and kind of some, kind of felt like that about it I think a lot of films done this better like Kill List Ben Wheatley movie done this type of genre like a lot better and even like classics like Wicker Man and stuff like that but it is still very good like that Netflix movie last year Apostle tried to do the same kind of thing and just fell completely fat so this is definitely better than Apostle but just not as good as maybe Killist and Wicker Man but still a very good watch and I'd recommend it yeah very nice I thought uh that's interesting I actually didn't when I mentioned Hereditary earlier I didn't even know that um Ari Aster is that his name yeah I didn't know that he directed Hereditary as well that's uh, oh yes the same director yeah that's uh yeah I think any mysticism on whether it's difficult to do a WhatsApp film review has kind of been dispelled because I think he did a very good job especially at naming things i mean thank you very much for your contribution michael really appreciate it mm. uh really good review better maybe in <laughs> legibility than anything we've done so far so well done yeah content heavy um, it was good only problem was suspiria was an excellent film and kill list is not an excellent film but we'll let him away with both of those <laughs> all right what's the next movie <laughs> uh the next movie is a ooh, it's a it's a big one um one that's, I, I think, very close to b- both our hearts and a lot of people's hearts, The Lion King um, remake. Yeah, I have quite a lot. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. I have a... <laughs> oh, fucking hell. There's a lot to, lot to say about this. So I'm just going to go ahead and play the recording and then we can discuss it afterwards. So I'm coming out of a screening of The Lion King now. It was good. It was not great. It was good. Um, yeah, so it was pretty much just like The Lion King, the animated film, exactly. Like, there was no real changes, pretty much scene for scene, but with real animals instead of cartoons. And that's pretty much the, the main issue with the whole film. Like, it was so realistic. And they really, I kind of thought they'd give a bit of leeway and kind of allow the animals to behave in kind of, you know, weird, like, unrealistic ways. But they're really kind of like, the lions really behave like lions. And lions can't really express that much emotion. Like, they can pretty much just show anger or neutral lion face. And that kind of goes for all animals, really, except humans. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the time, like, animals will be happy or sad and the voices will be doing happier saying happier sad things or scared or whatever but it's just like a very realistic lion's face behaving in a lion's way so it's just super weird it kind of just made you not really able to connect with it because i'm a human and they're a lion you know <laughs> i, I, I kind of realized like how much like a cartoon you don't really realize but like if you see a cartoon of a lion doing x y or z you don't really question it but if you see like a hyper realistic 3d rendering of one you know having a chat with a hyper realistic 3d rendering of a chimpanzee you're like this just kind of looks weird and uh, you know what i'm trying to get at also because they were all so realistic it was quite hard to distinguish between the characters like all the female lions look the exact same as female lions do all the hyenas look pretty much the same like you know in the cartoon there's one hyena who's like kind of crazy and he's got like weird eyes and he instantly is like oh he's the crazy one where it's not really that apparent in this because they all look the same they all look like hyenas so yeah it was good it had good bits like um seth rogan was pumba which i was kind of worried about but that was actually really good and i do think that's because a boar isn't an 
like in real life, they're pretty funny animals, like the way they trot about and stuff. But other animals, like Zazu, not he just didn't because like he's a he's a, a bird, and birds aren't funny, and he looks like a real bird, and he behaves. You know what I'm trying to say? It was it was okay, but it just didn't really work for me. Most of all, it just like the main thing I enjoyed about it was it just reminded me of how much I liked the original film, and it kind of just left me really wanting to watch the original movie. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say it's worth going to see it. If you're thinking of going to see it, just watch the Lion King cartoon. Uh, you'll enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I still, I would say, I still feel the same. Except no, I don't still feel the same. I feel even worse about it now than I did then. I kept saying, you know, it was good, but it was. But I've come to the conclusion that it wasn't good at all. It was terrible. It shouldn't. It's just. It's just so weird. It's honestly one of the weirdest films I've ever seen. Just because, like, I don't know what they were thinking. Like, the, it's like, when you remake these movies, surely you remake them to accentuate, like, using modern technology, you improve the bits that people like the most about these films. I'm sure that, well, the real intention is to make money, but you'd think that that's also part of the intention. The real... The, the part that people liked about The Lion King wasn't the fact that they were lions or that they were, you know, well, maybe some people, but like no one watched The Lion King and thinks like, oh, I'd love to see a hyper-realistic version of this. Like the way, like no one, imagine watching Pixar, like cars, Pixar's cars. I mean, like, I'd love to see this if it was just real cars driving around. Yeah. And that's essentially, like, lions can express about as much emotion as a fucking Ferrari. Like, they, <laughs> they can just growl or they can just sit in park. Like, that's all lions do. They just sit around and parked in the fucking plains. Like, it was, it sucked all the magic out of it. Like, any of the bit. So, uh, a lot of why I'm kind of really hating on so much now is I went back and watched some of the clips from the original film. And so much of it is like so colorful and nice. And like when they're singing, you know, the backgrounds change to just washes of color and stuff happens. And, you know, sometimes, you know, cartoons just give you freedom to do whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. props will appear and things will disappear and all, all this kind of stuff. And that's just all gone. They just remained in the hyper real lions in the jungle. And it's just so weird, man. I don't know why they did it. Yeah. It's so weird. I. I mean, it seems the more you thought about this film, the more you hated it. And I really, it's it's very interesting. It's actually a very fascinating film if you think about it. The Lion King for me was is like a fantasy film. You know, it's like a cartoon mm. fantasy. And what they've tried to do is make it realistic, but then keep the same script. And it resembles such an odd movie now. And I was wondering what this film would look like if there was no original Lion King, right? Like, Imagine, I was trying to imagine what uh, what people would take this film as if there was no original Lion King, because yeah. it's like the, no one would ever come up with this because it's just such a really odd concept for a film to have real lions, real looking animals singing songs and kind yeah. of making jokes and being friends with each other and like some sort of Hamlet plot, but in the Lion Kingdom using yeah it just it's so weird <laughs> I, di- I didn't think of that yeah like just just in pure isolation this film w- w- people will probably be like what like it, it, the script gets thrown out immediately yeah and like let's make essentially like a david attenborough style 
realistic film, <laughs> but dub it over and make this. Like, the plot would seem so weird. <laughs> like they would be like, that person is on acid. <laughs> yeah, this is Actinian. True, second acid reference. I, I, part of me was thinking like, and it's interesting that you said that. Like, I, it's not really fair to just compare it to the original, but you—that's all you can do, really. Like, you know, like you can't take it on sound. And the only bits, as I kind of said in the review, that I liked about it were bits that just reminded me of how much I liked those parts from the original movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'd see a bit and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember this happened in the original. Mm-hmm. But that was also another one of its major flaws because the music in it, the songs in the original Lion King are all such classics. And like, yeah. I'm so familiar with them and every note and intonation of their voices I know them really well. And I feel like anyone, you know, who grew up in the 90s does. Mm. Um, And because of that, hearing the songs recorded again with different actors, it just sounds like cheap covers. And I'm like, this song's not supposed to go like this. You know, your voice is supposed to go up. It's not supposed to go down or it's supposed to blah, blah, blah. And it just like, it it makes me sad that like there's some kids that will see this film and they won't see the original well, that's well, what I'm i was sure. going to ask you i was going to ask you now do you think that in like i don't know how long the lion king was what in the 90s do you think that in 20 years time um it's going to be christmas time or whenever these films kind of come out and the family are going to be sitting down on in the sitting room and they're going to go oh let's let's put on the lion king for the kids do you think mm. that it's the 2019 version that's going to get taken out or do you think it's going to be the original lion king that gets taken out I don't know, because cause when, I, when I was leaving the cinema, there was these um, who, I, who I assumed were American people walking in. They're like, that was so good. Zazu was so funny. Like, <laughs> oh, no. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. Okay, so. It was like, yeah. I think so. And like, so I think I should say that I'm not completely against the Disney reboot overall as well. Like, I saw the Jungle Book remake. And I thought it was okay. And I haven't seen Aladdin or as we talked about last time. But I think the main difference here is with Jungle Book, there's still a bit of fantasy kept in it. With Dumbo, mm. there's still some fantasy kept in it with Aladdin. But with this, there's just none, no fantasy. And it's just like, it leaves no, there's no imagination or anything. It's, oh, it's yeah. just crazy. Then another thing, I, I think uh, something I, I wrote down, which really sums up the whole film the song Can You Feel the Love Tonight is sung during the day in the movie. That's it. <laughs> that sums it all up. Um, Very good. Also, another thing I wrote down uh, to say is um, it's hyper-realistic. And if you're going to go hyper-realistic, you have to go 100%. None of the male lions have dicks. They just have completely smooth area where the genitals should be. Really? How can you know that? Because you can't see their dicks. <laughs> And like, so you're 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 saying unless you go full, you're not interested. I mean, if you're gonna give people the full realism of nature, <laughs> animals have genitals. Simba. Yeah, I guess it's just uh, for me. It's just this film never should have been made, and it's mm-hmm. really interesting that it did get made because it's just the wrong idea, and a lot of money has been spent on it, and it's not hugely popular, but it's made its money back by you know tenfold it's done really really well in the box office but this film conceptually just doesn't it doesn't add up it completely doesn't add up 
And it's just really interesting to look at like kind of the weirdness of Hollywood and how they managed to make such a weird film. Yeah. (laughs) Real lie on singing. I mean, you've told me they sing and everyone's told me they sing and I know they sing. But when I look at the trailer, I'm like, how can they sing? They're fucking animals. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's truly mental. And, and even like, I don't know if it's, because of the blandness of just how the lines look, but the acting is just so like the the voice. As I, as I said in the voice note, it's hard to distinguish who's talking, and there's just no real emotion in any of the voices. I guess it's Beyonce? hard to. I mean, you're 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 queen, Beyonce. How, I how I love Beyonce, it? but no, it just wasn't. Also, her. I I feel like Lion King is such a classic, and Beyonce's voice is so distinct, especially when she sings. Mm-hmm. That when she was singing, I was like, this is Beyonce singing. It's not ah, yeah. Nala, yeah. it's Beyonce. Also, I always thought that when Simba goes away and then he comes back, that he was supposed to be like, I don't know, like 17 or 18 in human years. I don't know what that's it's in line years. But like, what age is Beyonce? She's like 40. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Why do they have her playing like a 17-year-old line? I think it, <laughs> this wouldn't be an issue if I wasn't so familiar with who Beyonce is in the <laughs> yeah. real world. <laughs> like no you're like 40 years old <laughs> um but you should watch like if i watch you know the the be prepared be prepared that song oh yeah in yeah, the yeah. original with uh jeremy irons yeah yeah just the, just that clip i watched that on youtube when i got home and like the animation and it's so it looks so cool and the voice acting is amazing mm-hmm. and the range in his voice and everything is just so good and that song wasn't even in the new one and huh. Somehow they managed to make it 40 minutes longer than the original and cut out songs. That's, I literally yeah, have yeah, yeah, that no clue what they added all that extra time. Up yeah. with. Anyway, anyway. It's a very bad film, no? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's more than enough. But I guess the old franchises or Disney reboots and stuff don't always go so poorly. Do they, Killing? Oh, that's some excellent linking there, I have to say. This is our second episode. But that is some top class linking. I think we're getting better at this. Yeah, Disney reboots aren't always uh, a total failure. Uh, The next movie that we are going to review is Toy Story, which I went to see just last week. And I have to say, I loved it. This is the voice review of Toy Story. Hey, just got out of Toy Story 4 there. um, And man, I honestly, I, I was a little bit apprehensive of this. As you know, I don't like when they kind of pull things out of the grave and uh, try rehash them, and it's just getting a bit annoying. But that was wonderful. That was really, really wonderful. It was just so, so nice to spend, you know, an hour forty minutes with such a beautiful film series, and everything looked so beautiful, and the music was so perfectly executed. And the best, the great thing about Toy Story, that is just so. It's just the perfect concept. It's the perfect concept for a film, for a kids' movie, and and they they did that justice. But it's man, it's so hard to get it wrong because it's kids and it's toys and it's it's so beautiful and lovely and uh, all the characters. There's so much humor in it. It was really surprisingly very funny. Um, what's happened is the toys are now being played by this new kid, Bonnie, and um, but Woody's kind of being left by the wayside he's not getting played with as much and they also have this kind of fatigue because this is 
some of their third or fourth kids that they're getting played with and there's a little bit of kind of toy existential doubt about the whole process of being a toy and everything and it really holds up it all holds up so well and basically they go on a road trip and lots of things happen and it's wonderful and it's funny and they go to a carnival and it's all in this carnival environment and there's these kind of wild toys and stuff and a lot of old favorites come back through you see a lot of little pixar what are they called those things um rabbit eggs bunny rabbits what are they called again easter eggs that's the word what i loved about it was the humor and that the the concept held up and that it was um it was a self-contained film and it did kind of put a even though the last film did as well but this one really put a nice little full stop on the end of toy story and maybe they'll do another one but if it was anything like that one i really actually don't mind at all because we all have a soft spot for toy story at least i like to think we do good film enjoyed it yeah i mean the list of adjectives uh that i would use to describe that film i already built up quite a list when i was giving that voice review but marvelous magnificent superb wonderful beautiful lovely just warm just so many good words to describe that film it was a real ride of joy um extremely good really enjoyed it I'm very impressed because I feel like for characters, you're so used to the toys and Andy is like the owner of the toys. And I'm impressed that you clearly, you know, are able to relate to the new owner of the toys pretty well. Like you kind of accept the new owner of the toys, which you'd think would be a hard thing. Like I even remember at the end of Toy Story 3 seeing the new owner coming along and I was like, uh, that's not the same. I don't, I don't care about this person. I care about Andy. Like, But it seems... They worked it out. Yeah, the the kind of concept of of Toy Story, as at least maybe it's represented in this, but it's that the toys uh, just want the children to be happy, and they they really want the children. They want they kind of like they're the guardians of the kids, and they want the kids to feel good, and they're mm. very emotionally linked with the kids, and so it's less um, it's less that you're caring about the the child, but it's more that you you know you're caring about the child in the way that the toys are and it's that you want everyone wants the kid to feel happy and then when the kid's crying and there's you know pixar makes them with such big beautiful eyes that when they're sad <laughs> it's just so you're just your heart is breaking but mm. um as uh i've been reading on message boards like this film is really about the toys and there's very little of the main kid in it even though there's not much of andy and the original Toy Story as well. But it's it's more about Woody and this kind of existential question he's got about being a toy. And he has this choice to sort of keep doing what he's been doing, which is to sort of stay a house toy or whether he wants to go off and be wild and like rove <laughs> around. And it's it's just, it was so funny. I really, I laughed so much. And the music is just amazing. And I think they just got it pinpoint on I think that the day that someone came up with Toy Story it must have been John Lasseter I think since Disgraced but um, <laughs> the person who came up with this you know they just nailed it and this and mm. this film is just it's just really very good and I'm really glad that they did not ruin it so you would say the perfect trilogy has become the perfect quadrilogy I think that this is not part of a trilogy I think this is its own film um, mm. it doesn't really link with the rest of them there's kind of like hanging on strands of stories that sort of get 
tied up, but really it's just the same characters. But the the arc, which is present in the first three films, is not really present. It's a different uh, narrative and it doesn't continue on with any ideas that are in the previous ones. Mm. I recently watched last week. In fact, I watched Toy Story 1 again. So, so good. But it, it kind of reminded me, I don't know why, but I had it in my head, I think because of Toy Story 3, that Toy Story is like a real tearjerker. Like, oh, you're going to be crying from Toy Story. And I watched Toy Story 1. I was like, this isn't sad at all. It's like fun and it's funny and it's it's nice. Is is How is Toy Story 4 in that respect? It's like... Yeah, it more... is a tearjerker. Maybe that's something that kind of got played into. I mean, I know that that song, um, When She Loved Me with uh, Jesse in the second film, I think it is. I mean, I remember weeping at that and probably being one of the first times I cried at a watching a film. And there is mm. just something so inherently sad about, you know, a toy not being played with or a toy not being chosen. Somehow yeah. you completely empathize with them because, you know, we're we're looking at them going like they're they're kind of worthless or they're what their function is, they're not being used for. And yeah. we can completely relate that to our own situation. So it's just heartbreaking when, you know, a child picks up a toy and then, you know, decides it doesn't want to play with it and puts it down. And we can see that we know the toy is real and it really, it hurts us all to look at it so much, you know? Yeah, it's horrible. Um, it's, I'm actually yeah. getting a bit sad thinking about it. Now. It's <laughs> like when it's out of their control, like they have no control, you know? Yeah. And I think that what was so nice was that so many things, so many things from the past have been ruined um, be it for good reasons or bad reasons or whatever. But with, you know, cancel culture and everything like that, there's a lot of things that we can't really touch that's from the past, you know, rightfully. Things that are just, you know, they don't hold up anymore. And when you look at them through the prism of of today's culture, they just, they don't hold up and they look bad and we can all stand together and go, that was not so good. We shouldn't have liked that. Toy Story, mm. I think it just holds up. There's nothing in mm-hmm. it that, that is, I mean, from my perspective, maybe someone else can tell us, but from my perspective, there's just nothing in it that's wrong. It's just like, it's got really solid morality that, I mean, I would happily put my kids in front of it and say like, you, you know, this is, I'm glad they're watching this because there's a really solid, good and wrong base in it. And uh, mm. yeah. Just I wholesome times. Yeah. Very wholesome. Very, very wholesome. Yeah. How was the, because I, I was in, I think, am I right in saying Toy Story was like the first all 3D animated film? Yeah, it is. It was the first. Rewatching it, it kind of looked okay, but some of the this is the first one now. Some of the visuals, I was like, "Fuck!" Like I didn't realize, you know, we've it looked like that. You know, I didn't realize we've come this far, and especially the dog. You know, like Sid's dog <laughs> is. It literally looks like like a, a, a cube. It's like a prism with like legs coming out of it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, how was uh, how did this new one look? It was like oh yeah, it looked astounding. You know, um, as um they've you know perfected what they started with toy story and it looked very very pretty and there's action sequences and stuff because i always love when things are small and they use regular objects in different ways because like you know the toys are very small so (laughs) for example like a wheel can be used in a totally different way or uh you know they're they're sliding down what is that you know just a small little mound or uh, i just love all that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. uh, it all looks great and there's loads of really cool action sequences and everything um mm. but yeah i mean 10 out of 10 would definitely recommend going to see this and uh bring a box of tissues and um and just sit back and enjoy it i think nice cool 
Well, we um, have come to the part of the podcast where Mark recommends a film for me and I recommend a film for Mark. Before we do that, though, we need to discuss the two films that we recommended for each other. Mine was, um, I recommended A Night on Earth for Mark by Jim Jarmusch. Mark, did you like A Night on Earth? Well, as we discussed, there was a small bit of controversy oh, dear. Um, surrounding, surrounding that film. I did not like that film. I thought it was shit. Um, really <laughs> crap film. Poor recommendation on your part. It was, I described it to you as not because Winona Ryder's in it, but it's like Beetlejuice without Beetlejuice in it. The music, the way everyone acts. It's just very like uh, old Tim Burton, but without any of the like supernatural shit in it. Mm-hmm. So it's just like. Did you I watch was, the film? Yeah, I watched. Did you watch some the film, <laughs> Killian? A more important question is: Did you watch the film? That's not a question I am gonna. I am willing to answer because I asked you previously: Did you watch the film? I watched as much <laughs> of it as you did. I watched two out of five segments. Well, I watched. So, I've watched that film. I have watched that film. I didn't watch. I've watched the film. I've watched definitely parts of that film. I'm not sure I've watched the whole of that film. But uh, when I, you know. I may not have seen the whole thing, but you didn't see the whole film. So, I mean, it's very difficult for me to accept your uh, review when you, when, you, when you didn't. You only watched two parts of it. How, how many films have you seen, would you say? Would you say you've seen over a thousand? Uh, maybe. And you, you have a degree in film. That's uh, technically true. And we've started a film podcast. Yeah. And... Your first opportunity to recommend me a movie, you recommended me one that you have not seen. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen it. I guess I, I've seen it in parts. I watched it on YouTube in different parts. But uh, I, 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry that I didn't recommend it. I'm telling you now, it's not good. I, I did start watching it at midnight um, after having... And you were very drunk. I mean, you sent me the message and you said, I'm very drunk while I'm sending you this. I, I mean, you I get... When I wa- ask you to watch a film, I expect you to sort of sit down and give it a real watch. Um, yeah. And then and then you get pissed drunk. I mean, pissed drunk, Excuse watch two me. parts of it. And then, I mean, this is Excuse an me, ongoing kidding. problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you recommend me a film, I expect it's something that you like yourself. You know my interests. We've been friends for a long time. I expect you to pick a film that you would like me to watch based on how well you <laughs> how well you know me after years of friendship and something that you yourself have enjoyed and would like to share with me not okay. some shit that you've watched clips of on youtube all right i take on those criticisms wholeheartedly okay <laughs> florida project i i watched the florida project this week um finally after months and months of maybe nearly half a year of mark asking me to watch it and i have to say i absolutely love the film it's wonderful everyone should go and see it what's the name of the guy sean sean baker i think is his sean name. baker here. uh fantastic fantastic uh filmmaker i absolutely loved it the way the film was made is it reminded me of a lot of films i've seen before where you have these characters who are just socially they can't fit in with society and they're very rebellious in spirit and they're kind of breaking the you know the agreed upon rules of humans interacting with each other and they just can't mesh and then you also have this horrible juxtaposition of disneyland and uh and people living on the breadline and the very 
lowest rung of of society and you have this society without compassion you're not really getting any help anywhere uh bar wonderful um willem dafoe's character who's really <laughs> very lovely but you know outside of that it's really hard and society is very harsh and you know these characters just can't they, they're really rebellious and they can't fit in and it's really wonderful I really thought it was it's- a great film the 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 scenes of them watching the fireworks in Disneyland from outside of Disneyland it's like um such a, like an amazing metaphor like the way yeah. they've just recorded that it's just it works so so well and yeah I really liked it yeah yeah as you know and I'm very very glad that that uh, you finally watched it what uh, what film have you got to recommend for me this week this week I have a very sad film to recommend to you but one that i like a lot it's a film called the rider directed by chloe zhao have you heard of it the rider by chloe zhao is this from like the 70s no no no. it came out last year um it's it's a really really good film about a rodeo rider was that what they call like the guys who go on horses and the horses kind of they have to try and like stay on the horses ah okay 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 so he's a, a rodeo rider who takes a bad fall and gets some brain injury he's okay he's still you know he doesn't have any mental problems or anything but he has seizures and he's basically told he can never ever ride a horse again but riding a horse is like his whole life and that's all you know it's all he lives for horses and riding horses so it's about him like kind of defying should he defy the doctor or should he obey the doctor should he go out and ride or you know, he lives to ride and he's told he can't do it anymore. And it's about his whole, his whole journey there. Oh, but wow. It's, yeah, it's amazing. And like, it's all shot in, you know, very, very rural America. And it just looks so, so good. It's real, like lots of really nice, like ranch, ranch times. But what makes it really interesting, and I only found out after is, it's based on a true story. And almost every single character in the film is the actual real person in real like that the story is based on so the guy the writer so they all the people who act are actually acting themselves yes oh my god that's amazing Mm -hmm. so like it's the it's it's so strange because it's like the guy would you describe the film would you describe it as like uh like a fantasy inspirational film drama it's just like a drama yeah okay 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 but it's it's him you know he's having troubles with his dad and he's like interacting with his friends and he's having these real emotional times with you know, his friends and his family and stuff, but like they're his real friends and family. And I can't imagine how strange it would be to go through quite a traumatic thing and then someone be like, do it again, but you know, we're going to record it. And <laughs> it's quite strange, but uh, really, really good. I, yeah, I saw it in the cinema last year, as I said, and I think you'd really, really enjoy it. All right. So uh, the film that I would like to recommend for you is actually a 1958 French film by one of the great directors, Jacques Tati. This film is called Mon Oncle or My Uncle, uh, mm-hmm. and it's a physical comedy. And it, again, kind of reminds me of uh, Florida Project in a way, because you have this character who doesn't really mesh with society. But in this case, it's uh, this French, uh, you know, uncle character. Uh, his name's uh, Monsieur Hulot, and he can't mesh with modern society. So you have, you know, you know factories and, uh, you know, architecture and machines, and it's almost this Mr. Bean-esque physical comedy. And he's trying to, he's trying to live uh, in this world, but he keeps getting kind of swallowed by... <laughs> he just can't mesh with this new modern world. And it's very funny. You have this 
juxtaposition of the modern world and then the uh, and then the sort of traditional French village. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of Florida Project. So um, I thought I'd recommend that one for you. And yeah, it's a very nice it's a very nice little French film. I, I mean, I don't even know if there's much speaking in it. Um, but mm. if you've never seen a Jacques Tati, it's quite nice. And he only directed yep. three or four films, um, but he all of them are considered very good films. And I think you'll like it. Cool. Yeah, no, it sounds interesting. It sounds, uh, yeah, I look forward to watching that one. Okay, cool. So I think we've come to the end of our time on MK Ultrafilm. Um, mm-hmm. As we've said before, and as we said on the last show, if you have any recommendations or reviews or criticisms about the show, please send them to us. My number for WhatsApp voice messages is 089-490-2837. I'm just happily giving that number now because Mark gave it publicly on the last show. <laughs> um, so I have no choice. It's already out there, the radio waves. But please send us some of your reviews like Michael did last time. And again, mm-hmm. we want to thank Cav for the amazing graphic that he made for us. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. We absolutely Beautiful. love it. Um, I would also like to thank my uncle Barry who sent me a 1975 checker taxi model in the post to wish us well for the podcast. It's the same taxi from the film Taxi Driver and that's it was a very, very kind gift. Thank you, Barry. One more thing. By the time this goes up, we will have an Instagram account at MKUltraFilm. So if you're listening to this and if you don't follow it already, follow it. And of course... Share the podcast, like the podcast, and click the subscribe button to the podcast as we can have the numbers and you'll know when it comes out. And email us at mkultrafilm at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next time. Tschüssi.